Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to another edition of the Bruins Beat here on CLNS Media. I am your host. Jimmy Murphy, and we are joined by one of the first people, I I think it's one of the first reporters I met in my my long time covering the Bruins uh, many moons ago, not to make us feel old, but uh, he's joining me now from the New Bedford Standard Times, Mick Collagio. Mick, how you doing? Um, well, and I can't believe you're stuck with it if that was your first impression. <laughs> it was a good it's been a long, impression. a long career now for you. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's wow, time flies. I'll tell you, I remember, I remember sitting in the, uh, I think you were the first uh, fellow reporter to take me to the Fours, actually, Nick. That's how I remember. Really? He took me over to the Fours. Yeah, you never it heart to heart. <laughs> yeah, and of course, many media members uh, know what we're referring to when we're talking about the Fours. Of course, the sports pub on Canal Street across from TD Garden. And man, once I was, rated uh, by Sports Illustrated as the best in the country. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Now, now, just before we get into some current Bruins talk, was that place there um, in the old Boston Garden days as well, or was it just uh, something that arose when the Fleet Center went up? Oh no, 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 no! It was named for the Fours for a reason. <laughs> it goes and way back. <laughs> and what's that? Uh, number the greatest poem in the history of sports, Bobby, number four, Bobby Orr. Oh, no way. I never knew that. Wow. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, actually, so, the uh, first I told them for years uh, on Canal Street, um, when you walked in, if you looked very high up on the wall on the left, it was a 1972-73 Bobby Orr game-worn <laughs> road black jersey. And the reason I knew it was 72-73 is because it had the tie collar. They abandoned the tie collar in 73-74. And it also had the A. And the A was the first, 72-73 uh, was the first year of Bobby Orr was an alternate captain. And that's because the Bruins had lost Eddie Westfall to expansion, Ted Green to the WHA, um, like that. So, Oh, wow. Interesting stuff there. And, of course, they've got so much sports memorabilia there. And, I mean, I always try to bring uh, visiting friends uh, from out of town. I always try and get them over the floors, even if there's not a It's Bruins a museum. I hope they're paying for this advertisement. But in places, it's <laughs> a museum. Yeah, you know what? Hey, maybe we'll, we'll get some free pints out of this. We'll see. But um, <laughs> I drink. We'll I drink how, so, you know what? I, as I said that, I'm like, well, I won't be drinking the pints because, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I told you, man. Two years ago, I got diagnosed with celiac, and so obviously uh, the beer is no longer in the diet anymore, which is probably a good thing. Um, but yeah, I can't have the barley or flour or any of that stuff. And wow! Uh, so I, I definitely have become more of a. I, I always liked wine, but I've become more of a wine connoisseur and a wine drinker. And I def I'm a red man for sure. And 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'll give an, I'll, I'll give another shameless plug here. Um, if you, I don't know if you ever tried it. The great Pinot Noir, and it tastes real expensive, but it's real cheap. Is uh, Mark West? Have you had that? Oh, quite a bit. Yeah, in fact, I think that's what they serve at the forest for Pinot. Um, oh, uh, you know, if I, if I have like a late, if there's like, if I miss the media of the field before the game, uh, and I'm really, really uh, struggling, uh, and I know I got to drive over an hour to get home, uh, what I'll do is that, you know, I sit at the bar, order a grilled salmon, a top of green salad, and a glass of Pinot, and I am off for the race. Enjoy a little West Coast hockey, and uh, we'll, you know, meet a few fans, and, um, you know, that's about as good a time as you can have when you're single. Of course, now I run yep. home because it's a goddess in my life, and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, there you go. That's perfect. I hear you on that. And, well, that's what we will do. We'll have to get a free uh, glass of uh, Mark West Pinot Noir for our, our commercial here that we put on for the fours. But, hey, let's get into some current Bruins talk, Mick. And, you know, and actually we might swing it back to the past because I want to get your take on that later, but uh, on maybe what team you compare this Bruins team to. But – just, you know, if you were looking at this team coming into the season, I, I, I guess, compared to now, how much have your expectations and opinions changed uh, of where the Boston Bruins are, both both right now as, as, you know, as they play in this current season, but also just in terms of the big picture, how much has that uh, been altered uh, with the success they've had? Um. I always thought that if David Krejci could stay healthy and get wingers, that the Bruins would be back, so to speak. Um, uh-huh. Because because except in the rare instances of the uh, New Jersey Devils and in more recently the Chicago Blackhawks, every team that's won the Cup in the last quarter century has had two number one centers. Uh, mm-hmm. who can play at a uh, real imposing pitch in the postseason. And that's what drive drove the great teams of the Western Conference in the 90s with the Red Wings when you had Eisenman and Fedorov. You know, the Avalanche had Sackick and Forsberg. The Stars had Madonna and Duodyck. And the only team in the East that could stand up to them and, and win the Stanley Cup and interrupt that, that conference's dynasty was the Devils, and they did it with the Chicago, with what became Chicago's model, where you have the dominant defense triangle in Chicago's case, Keith Seabrook and Jalmarsson, and that's no longer fully there for them, uh, and and now they have to look at ways to try to uh, re-augment the way the Red Wings successfully did between 2002 and 2008, and the way the Bruins are now trending. Um, you know, it's Don Sweeney's, uh, you know, his his work and getting cap control and then re, repopulating the prospect pool uh, has certainly uh, been paying off. Uh, the fruition has been sudden, but the fruit is bright. It's hanging low and people are grabbing it. And it's nothing more fun than watching a team on the rise. It's, a, it's really, really fun. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I do not have unrealistic expectations. I don't think the Bruins can win the cup for a couple of years out. Um, just because uh, you got a 20-year-old playing uh, top-pairing minutes when he gets healthy, and that just simply hasn't been done in the 50-year expansion era. Um, the closest yeah. you can come is the 86 Canadians who had 
20-year-old Peter Svoboda, who was at the end of his second NHL season, playing behind two Hall of Famers and a couple of other really good long-term NHL defensemen, and only playing eight games of their 21-game run. So it's just the Bruins are trying to make history if we're talking about the Stanley Cup. Uh, I'm not going there with this team. I'm just saying, boy, this is fun. Nothing more fun than watching the team that gets better every year, and that's what this team's been doing now for the third year in a row. Yeah, I mean, you're right, and I'm with you, too. I, I, I think and that, that might be an issue, obviously, in the next month or so or even the next two weeks where that – I can't believe we're that close to the playoffs. Um, but, you know, as, as with the playoffs approach, obviously the fever pitch is going to go up and the, uh, the expectations will build and everybody's going to look at this team as a quote-unquote cup contender. I'm with you, Mitch. I, I, I could see this, you know, and I'm saying if they're lucky. And, you know, I think it would be kind of icing on the cake. A game seven, round two, is, is kind of how it seems to be this team going. I have to say with the Stanley Cup playoffs, you just you just never know. If you look at the Bruins in 11, um, uh, they had had a bit of regular season a couple years earlier, but they were a harder-to-play-against team when they got to the 11 playoffs. And then they're in a two-game hole at home. How many teams have ever come back from a two-game hole at home to win any NHL playoff series uh, and or any series in any sport. And and you can probably count them on one hand. And the Carolina Hurricanes did it against Montreal uh, in, in 06. Same team. Uh, in the opening round. And, and the Bruins did it. And and uh, and so you could have been out right there. You could have been out in game seven overtime. Um, but you weren't. And you got through it. And you and then by the end of the by the end of the playoffs, it was clear that the Bruins were the best team. And, and so it's weird. You got these two things that are operative. You got the blueprint. You got the the lines. You got the theory. You got the preparation time. You have the the uh, the development. You have the leadership. You have all these things that go into trying to create a ch- scenario that makes a championship possible. But then, as Peter Laviolette once told me when I was trying to talk to him about this stuff. Um, after the Providence Bruins had won their championship, but before he ever won it with the Carolina Hurricanes, wait, 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 wait. There are about 5,000 things that need to go right, that could go wrong in order to win a championship. And I don't think there's only one way to do it. And that was him. And uh, the older you get, the more you got to believe that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And it, it's going to be interesting. I think you made a good point on McAvoy, and I think all the young kids. It'll be very interesting to see how they handle the playoffs because it is a much different game, and I think we saw We got a good taste of it, Mick, uh, in that Winnipeg Jets game, you know, with the size and, and just the physicality combined with the speed that the Bruins can give you, but I, I just still question whether they can keep up with that physicality. I think, you know, obviously the return of backs and having Char will help, but uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how these young kids handle the rigors of uh, of, of the playoffs. I mean, because it, it's it's just such a different beast, and you don't know it till you're in it, right? When I say this, when I say what I say about the Bruins, I get the "Why are you so negative?" You know what? I'm the one who's positive. When they if they lose in the first round and people are burning down the world and pointing fingers, I'm going to be the positive guy because I don't have. I'm not getting caught up. I'm not getting seduced by the record. I think the Bruins at the trade deadline might have been a little seduced by the record because they let Ryan McDonough go to Tampa. Um, And Mm. it doesn't matter where he went. They let him not go to them. 
when you have a 41-year-old anchoring your left side, and after that, what do you have for left shot? You have talented specialists. I mean, you don't have a guy who's in between there generationally or defensively. And the Bruins the blue line is still so much under construction and will continue to evolve over the next several years in dramatic ways that it's just, I mean, the, probably the closest thing you could do to coming up with a solution would be to ask Kevin Miller to go back over to the left side like he did the first 10 games of the season and had done prior to when he was on the military uh, last year under Julian. Uh, and so, and then maybe play, and that way you've got a left side defender there. Then on the right side, uh, you say, okay, what am I going to do? You've got to play McAvoy. Uh, he's a great player. He's going to be a superstar. He's wonderful to watch. I love his whole game. It's very, it's very Doughty-esque. It's very Potson-esque. And, um, and, and I look forward to, the, to his career as it grows. But this defense has so much that could happen to it that <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, is, is this a snapshot that I would take of a team that's going to go after the Stanley Cup? And say this is your defense, and say no, no. Let's let's be realistic here. I think the other big question mark too, Mick, and I'll I'll get your take on this. And look, um, I I go to bat for the for him a lot on this. I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm not saying he's uh, you know, the next Patrick Waugh in the playoffs or anything. But you know, I I just think Tuka Rask gets a, a real tough you know rep here in Boston, and really it has become in terms of the airwaves so to speak, which then carries over to the fans. He's just the whipping boy no matter what. If the team does really well and he's in net, then it's the team that did really well. It's not him. And if the team does really poorly in front of him, it's him that did poorly and not the team. I just – I don't think – I think it's it's possible that Boston – I think it's possible, Murph, that Boston may have surpassed Toronto as the goalie-centric uh, market of the universe when it comes to hockey yeah. blame. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's they amazing. Are. It is, it is. But you know, I hate to spend my time talking about what other people say on the radio, what other people write on 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 their in their articles. I, I really don't want to make that the reference point of anything I say. I just feel like that this team is too good. It's been too fun, and and I just uh, don't care if everybody gets on board or if people have access to grind through them. Uh, you know, whether the but what do you think of Tuca? I, I don't I mean, care. Do you think he's good? I, I, I mean, I think Tuca's a great goalie. Tuca's a great goalie. I think the thing here, if I can put my finger on something, I think it's that it's that his style of game, and Felix Potvin went through this in Toronto, his style of game is so positional and passive-looking that when the puck goes in, uh, you have to be analytical about it in order not to look at him and and have him pass the eye test. And mm-hmm. so you get a crazy battler out there like Hudobin, who looks like he's doing an impression of Tim Thomas. And you know, and people love Jerry Cheevers, but there were stretches in the '72 season. In the 71 season and the 72 season, two greatest regular seasons in Bruins history, where Eddie Johnston outplayed him. And in fact, a lot of people don't know that Eddie Johnston was 6-0 in the playoffs leading up to game five at home against the Rangers where the Bruins could have won the cup. I was at the game. 
And I was looking forward to seeing a couple of the naked eye for the first time. It didn't happen. Crazy deflection. They lose. They win it two nights later in New York. Cheevers shuts out the Rangers. That was Cheevers' really, you know, first really great game of the playoffs. Before that, Eddie Johnson was the guy. You know, they split yeah. the load evenly, but Johnson's goals against wound up still wound up under two. And, and uh, I just think that goalies who play like Cheevers, and I was a huge Cheevers fan growing up. He was the guy who captured my imagination because I was a goalie when I was a kid. And, and uh, you know, everybody got, got, got their guy. Kirk Ludicky loved Mike Leuk, you know. Everybody has one that they identify with. Uh, Tuca, uh, some people love Tuca, and some people don't because of his style. And um, I just think that's how it's going to be for Tukes. And I think he's a professional. I think he's uh, excellent at what he does. I also think he's the kind of goalie who can be insanely good standing on the shoulders of a team that's playing really well. Uh, you look at the 2013 conference final against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Bounce back to Neal. Four seconds left. It comes to the back. Warping. Over and out of again. Lost. The Bruins have won it. Those two games in Boston, the Penguins were firing at the at the at a, like like a, like a duck at a Thank video you. game. It, it was uh, he was just crushing them, and and Tuca just denied them. As Julian said yep. after that series, that was not a sweep. It was four games, but it wasn't a sweep. It was Tuca, you know. So yeah, I'm 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 a Tuca guy. I love Tuca. Yeah, I'm with you, and I, I I've always thought that he never got enough. And I always reference that series. I'm with you. I've always thought that he's never gotten enough credit when it came to that series. People just well, well you swept. How can you how can you credit the goalie when you sweep a a team? And I well very easily. I mean, I, I've seen it done to the Bruins over the course of history, and it was done to the Penguins in that series. I agree with you. Um, Nick, and, the, and the other thing I would say, just to add on to that, Murph, just as, yep. in as much as in as much as the February seventh, whatever it was, coaching change, where the Bruins caught fire, and what is a normal reaction of of uh, adrenaline rush when there's a coaching change, the Bruins sustained it right through the rest of the regular season and made the playoffs when it wasn't looking good. And this year, when Rask got benched on a road trip and Hudobin took the net and won those games. Uh, you know, that is always going to be the powder keg moment for Tuca critics. And I get that. I understand that. But I don't think that Tuca was the only one who wasn't on his A game at that moment. I don't think he was terrible. I think the whole team sucked. And I think the whole team picked it up after that. And I think the whole team responded like they did to the coaching change when the goaltending thing happened. They were, they, it really jolted the whole club. And the back check was way better. It was intensified. The forwards played so much better on the D side of the puck. And I think that Tuca also obviously responded to that. But it wasn't the night and day of his game. or, or it, To me, it was a whole team-wide thing that happened right there. And credit to Coach Cassidy for making the move when he did. But to me, that's how I understand it. That's what I saw at the time, and that's what I think now. Yep. I have to stay with you on that. Are you hiring, posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting? and waiting for the right people to see it? Well, wait no more, my friends. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. I'm telling you, the right candidates are out there. You may not see them right now, you may not hear from them, but that's because you're not using ZipRecruiter. 
and ZipRecruiter is how you find them. And you know what? Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Boston B. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Boston B. ZipRecruiter.com slash Boston B. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Let's get into the injuries. And, you know, you and I were just talking before we uh, started recording just about, you know, who might be in. Of course, we're recording this on Thursday prior to the Bruins lightning tilt at TD Garden, uh, which uh, could have a, a change at the a top the Eastern Conference and Atlantic Division by, after everything's said and done. But, uh, you know, the Bruins obviously have been ravaged by injuries. And just you, you kind of referenced it earlier. Uh, it's fun to see them kind of bond together and get over it. But just your take on how they've done that. I mean, what's stood out to you? Has there been some element, whether it's coaching, whether it's the players on the ice, uh, attitude, how have they been able to, uh, you know, this is just an amazing story to me, and I don't think it gets enough love, um, not just here in Boston, but, you know, around the NHL. This is an amazing story, what this team has done in the face of injuries. I mean, if you were to ever tell me, Mick, that Patrice Bergeron was going to miss as much time as he did at this time of year, you know, in, in the dog days and the, the, the playoff positioning days of the season, I would have been like, they're done. They might. I, I, I could easily have seen them falling out of playoff contention. That's how much I think he means to this team. And yet they don't. And they, they stand up and they, they battle through. And I just, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm like, it's a giant question mark to me. I'm trying to put my finger on it. Like, how are they doing this? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I think that some of the emerging players and the acquisitions that were subtle, and not very celebrated have been key to that. Mm. Riley Nash will never give you Bergeron offensive pop, but he is a disciple of Bergeron, and openly so. And and as a result, he loved coming to Boston because he got to be Bergeron's understudy. He loved being here so he could learn from him and augment the game that he wants to emulate. And now here we are at the situation where a guy like Riley Nash gets the center of that line, and play in that situation, and Marshan continues to go crazy. Is it because Brad Marshan is a great player? Absolutely. But if Riley Nash was not doing the things that we love to call the little, the little things, please say LA. Score could be lopsided by now. Marshan inside the line. The wrist shot stick save Corpusella. Nash scores! Riley Nash, Ryan Donato might have hit Donato's stick on the way through from the look of his celebration, but Riley Nash provides the impetus for it, and the Bruins are up 3-1. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, you know, he, his game is the discipline of his game and the sturdiness of his patrolling of the middle of the rink and the back pressure and the assisting the breakout and the discipline and knowing where he needs to be on the ice and having his stick on the ice and being strong on his stick and doing all of those things has allowed Marshan and Pashanak to, to continue to flourish without having to be a donut line. Does Nash have to be a factor in all of these totals? No, but he is playing the 200-foot game and is so committed. And I look at a guy like Kevin Miller in the back end and how as the season grinds along and the Bruins get more and more banged up, 
I just loved the way he played in Winnipeg, the way he was just going around the ice, just like taking on every big body he could to let him know that the Bruins weren't going to get pushed around as long as he was out there. Uh, it's, it's just these kinds of performances. And, and let's, not, let's face it, Zdeno Chara has just uh, continued to be the best defensive defenseman in the world. That has continued to be the case. And, uh, yeah. and as long as it is, the Bruins have linchpins. They have, uh, I, they have identity. They play with identity thanks to the coaching staff and the sturdiness and commitment of the players. And it's brought, it's made the players who, Tim Schaller, another one, just like Nash, but on a left-wing role, he provides glue to that fourth line and allows the Bruins to have the continuous attack that they were so famous for in 11 and 13, where you just don't get out of the, the you, you can't get out of the headlock with that because every line is coming at you and they just don't release. And, and, um, and that's, that's those kinds of players have been huge for them. Hey, good segue there, bringing up Chara. What's your take on the, the deal they signed him to? One year, $5 million. And of course, he's got a potential uh, $1.75 million in incentives and bonuses there. Who's Puck Marchand? Swings it out. Spooner steps in. Out of the box, Beaulieu. Spooner thinks twice. Here's Chara. Through the slot, right in. He scores! What a goal! Chara! I had heard for the longest time, and I'm sure you did too, Mick, that he was looking for two years, and it sounded like maybe that's where they were going to go, maybe at, you know, 3.5 to 4.5 a year. But you know, do you take it as him, you know, and the Bruins coming to agree, look, we'll give you a little more money than maybe you're asking for to chop off that extra year because come 2019, we're going to get slammed by all these entry-level contracts expiring and we're going to need some cap maneuverability. And, you know, we, that's not to say we don't want to bring you back, but it, it looked to me like, you know, this was kind of, the team and Char rubbing each other's backs there and doing doing themselves a favor. Did you take it that way? I, I suppose that's that that's all sensible. Um, uh, there's also some details I've been reading about. Salary cap stuff uh, gets gets over my head, but I read that you know that the um, uh, I think Dominic Piano from Canada pointed out on Twitter that uh, that that the bonus is on a 35 and over deal. Or you're a 35 and over deal, you're only eligible for bonuses if you sign a one-year deal or two-year deal, you can't get them. So by circumventing that, by making it a one-year deal, when the bonuses get applied to next year's cap, and then the Bruins get it just, you know, get him uh, in the situation they would want for next year, and then the following year, the bonuses will go on for the following, that following year's cap. I guess the Bruins consider that advantageous relative to the timeline of the RFA contract or whatever, and whether there'll be a cap team or not, they probably will. Um, all again, all of that an analysis, uh, you know, I go to cap friendly when I have to. <laughs> in my, in my <laughs> aging state, I try to just enjoy the hockey <laughs> and oh, yeah. focus on that. And, uh, and, and, do the, and learn about the cap stuff when I have to. And, and, uh, and uh, same for the fancy stack. Um, uh, you know, I, I uh, oh, come on, Elsie Cat. She's just, uh, we were away <laughs> for a week and she's going nuts. So that was, that was the, um, uh, that's my thought on that. Uh, you know, and, and to me, 
if Charlie was still getting deployed on the power play, and this is very similar with Pat Burns, got the back rate block when he took over as coach in 97. Uh, you know, this is what's going on with D. We want you to get your best in your role. And if you, please just let us do this. And, and we still play a lot. And, and, uh, and that's worked out famously. And I think Charlie would be in the Norris Trophy conversation had he had the power, the power play uh, production. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, I think it's great for everyone. One thing, too, and it, it, they referenced it. I, I don't know if you were able to, if you were at the press conference or you saw the transcript, but um, Sweeney kind of, kind of joked about it but you know I don't think it's necessarily a laughing matter but it does seem like they they've come to a happy medium on it the one thing I've worried about is, is Char has continued here and and I'm not knocking him for this I, I love his attitude I love his you know his desire and his passion that he wants to play as much as possible but there are times obviously I mean he, he can be as much of a workout freak as he wants, but like, you know, we even see with Tom Brady. I mean, there's times where, you know, mother nature can catch up and sometimes they, the coaching staff needs to pull them back a little. And Sweeney joked that that's not always the easiest thing. How do you think they approach that going forward next season? And then, you know, cause you obviously want to factor in the young guys more and you all, you also want him to pace himself. And I think Chara has his own idea of pacing himself. Will that become a conflict with the team, or do you think they kind of have an understanding going forward? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think they got a philosophy of it. I think Shara has accepted that his role must diminish on this team in order to let the young players uh, develop in, into the roles that they're going to have long term. And I think he's graciously done that and continued to be uh, uh, outstanding and elite in, in his roles. Uh, that he still has, uh, which are vital for this club, vital. And um, yeah. uh, and that having been said, uh, it's going to have to continue that way. But I think it's like any athlete, they want to play. I feel good. Let me get out there. And the Bruins are thinking, well, you know, 82 games and then two months of playoffs if we're lucky. Let's, uh, let's, let's try to cut back things a little bit here. I think those are the kinds of things that need to be done. If you have the luxury and you're in a good spot in the standings and you need to balance your minutes on D, because your Ds are always the guys who play the most and they play the hard, they play your top four playing hard minutes, especially your, your top guys, and um, uh, especially in that role. So, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, they're gonna, his performance will have to trail off before I think the Bruins will respond to that. And I never thought that he was over. Uh, skated anyway, minutes wise. I always thought the Bruins did a pretty good job of um, of keeping some balance in their uh, deployment. You know, in the ice time on D. I just think that that's you know he plays too much. He plays too much. Hey, Ray Bork, he played a half an hour a game. Bobby Orr, Brad Park couldn't get those guys off the ice. This guy here, yeah. I think that uh, I think that they've had much better control of it. I think that's part of the reason why I think they've gone as well as they have. And I think that they'll just keep an eye on it, but I don't think it's going to be like, a, well, we're predicting this, so we're going to schedule a cutback. I don't think that's going to happen. It's just kind of something you take it as it comes. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Definitely, potentially, we don't know if it's for sure. It could be related to the Bruins right now as we uh, wonder what's going on with Rick Nash, uh, who's out with a quote-unquote upper body injury. Um, some people have sort of intimated maybe that it's a concussion. We don't know. But one of the things I asked you was, you know, how do you think as we go forward here, are we going to start to see not just the Bruins, every NHL team with, with 
you know, so much hyper awareness of concussions and head injuries and, uh, you know, what happens to players after their careers are done and the lawsuit going, will it ever change where they just flat out tell us he's got a concussion? We see it sometimes, but we don't see it all the time. Is it going to get to a, and we're not saying Rick Nash, we are not confirming by any means he has a concussion, but are we going to see a standard set where if that is the case, they release that right away, or is it going to continue to be the upper body, you know, and kind of vagueness that we always get? Uh, you know, it's funny. I thought we had crossed that threshold a couple of years back, and then it seems like we're going back toward the gray area. And I don't mm. know why that's the case. I know one time in the bowels of the Providence Civic Center, Bill Armstrong was still the coach. I asked him after Billy a game. Billy Armstrong, great guy. Yeah. What's, uh, what's really going on with, with so-and-so? And he's like, uh, he has a toothache. And I'm like, come on. And he says, he says I can't tell you. These guys are animals. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was that was you know, that was the American <laughs> Hockey League ten years ago. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and, you know, I and and he played. He knows. You know, uh, it's uh, I can understand why the cards are close to the best. Um, the media gets frustrated. I don't blame them. Um, it's it's tough. It's a tough one. You don't want people to know what they're not supposed to know. They also, maybe it's not a concussion, but they don't want to say what it is because, you know, hey, you're heading to the playoffs. If Rick Nash has a uh, bad left or right shoulder and the opponents know oh, it, yeah. um, oh, boy, oh, boy. Well, it Patrice Bergeron got uh, dinged by uh, throw leak uh, with that lousy late hit in game four of the 13th final. Uh, the Blackhawks yep. basically just uh, made it a point to see if they could uh, kill him slowly. And, yeah, uh, he wouldn't. Have, he wouldn't have played a game seven. So. Oh yeah. Look, look, and I, you know what? I'm all for that. I like when it comes to you know hiding an injury so so it won't be targeted by the opponent. I mean, you've probably been in a situation. Mick, I've sat on on what I know to be fact before, just for that sake. Because I I don't want to be the guy to release to the public. You know, if I know that okay, you just said Rick Nash. So if I know he's got a dislocated shoulder right now. I'm not going to, I don't know. I feel guilt. Maybe this is wrong, but I feel guilty writing it because I don't want to see a guy suffer pain because of what I wrote. And, and so I kind of have an understanding and I get why teams do that. But when it comes to concussions, I just think it's a whole different ball game. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not making accusations or anything, but there's been times and I'm not going to list the times because then it will sound like an accusation. There's been times where I've really felt my gut where a player had a concussion and he played or even within a game, he suffered a concussion. And he came back and then finally like, Oh, suddenly he's out with an upper body injury. Well, yeah, maybe that's because he suffered it. And I just, it, it, we say it like we just, you mentioned Char earlier. These guys want to play. What are you going to do? They want to get out there and they're going to tell you they're good to go. Even if they're seeing stars and they can't even count to 10, they're going to tell you they want to play. It, it's a, a fine line, but I mean, it's getting dangerous now with everything that's going on with the attention focused on the NHL. And I'm wondering if we're going to see some sort of, I don't know if rule is the word, or like I said, a standard set because they need to figure this out because it's, it, they're facing a lot of lawsuits and I'm just interested to see how it goes uh, going forward here. Hey, I've had players tell me, um, you know, on the QT, 
that they had a concussion and didn't want to fess up because if they did, they'd be knocked out of the lineup for the yeah, playoffs. And, and, um, and that's, and you know, and, and that's stupid, but it's, uh, it's competitive, uh, nature, young man feel like, uh, uh, you know, nothing can kill you and you're, you know, you can just keep on going and, and, um, you make decisions and some of them are very smart. And, uh, and that's, that's what happens. Um, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't think there's any easy answer, Mark. I just think that, uh, had Mark Messier's, uh, crunchy helmet of, uh, that he was, uh, pushing <laughs> 10 years ago or whatever had revolutionized the industry. We'd all know about it, you know, but it didn't quite work out because otherwise everybody would be wearing it. Uh, and so uh, yeah, what yeah. we have same, we got the same basic shell that we've had for 35 years on players yeah. playing hockey. No matter what they do to the inside, no matter how pretty they make it, whether it costs you $250 for a pretty wonderful feeling helmet on the inside uh, or versus the more standard model that costs you 135 bucks at the corner sports store um it's 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 the same shell and you still high impact hits are going to have the similar effect and until they get uh, a breakthrough there and believe me there's uh, hockey manufacturers want to make money we know that because they somehow managed to influence the nhl into calling a broken stick a penalty uh you know to make you know so they could i mean that 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 just disgusts me uh, but but that's um, that's another story for another time. I hear you, my friend. I hear you. Well, listen, we will have to, uh, I think, maybe have a reunion over at the four soon and enjoy that uh, glass of Mark West. Sounds like a plan? Yeah. Well, too bad they took my advice and finally told, took down the Bobby Orr jersey from 73. The Conway jersey from the uh, behind the power was replaced by an Ortiz. I get that. I think it's smart of them. Uh, you don't want those things going up in flames someday. Uh, any case, uh, yeah, yeah, we're on. I'm overdue. Sounds like a plan, my friend. Well, listen, I appreciate you joining us here, all right? My my pleasure, and uh, we'll do it again sometime. Sounds good. That's Mick Collagio from the New Bedford Standard Times. I'm Jimmy Murphy here in the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. We'll talk to you next week. I don't-